Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 168, my guest uh, coming up uh, will be Dr. Deb Clements, who is the program director at the Family Medicine Residency Program at the University of Kansas Medical Center. Deb went to Haiti last month with some of her colleagues to deliver some health care to people there, and we'll talk about that, family medicine, social media, advocacy, and a lot more coming up on the Dr. Anonymous Show starting right now. Welcome to the show that is passionate about medicine and social media. Since 2007, this is the Dr. Anonymous Show, live on a Thursday night here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm, of course, your favorite physician host. My name is Mike Savella, but my friends, like all of you out there in internet land, I see you out there. You can always find me at anonymous.com that brings you the most current show schedule. And coming up here in the month of June, I'm very excited. We have a great slate of guests that's coming up. You can go there to check out the uh, schedule there. Also some blog posts, also some TV interviews here I've done with local TV news. Very proud about that. You can also go to DrAnonymous.net. That brings you to the Facebook page. Shout out to all 233 people who like, who are fans of the show or however Facebook does that now. Exclusive behind the scenes video of me doing this show. And you can also go to DrAnonymous.org to subscribe to the show. That brings you to the iTunes page and also leave a comment out there. But if you're confused by all of that, and I've had some emails saying, hey, I'm confused by all of that, just Google Dr. Anonymous. I'm the first or second thing, and uh, that'll get you to the web page. You can also listen in real time to the show on your iPhone or BlackBerry or Palm Pre or whatever mobile device you have. Just direct your mobile browser to blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Anonymous. Today is Thursday, June 3rd, 2010. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central. And uh, our guest uh, coming up um, is, is a friend of mine and who, uh, who has known me before the Dr. Anonymous days, so this will be fun, Dr. Deb Clements, who went to uh, Haiti last month and also use social media to share her experience there. We'll talk about that. She is the program director at the Family Medicine Residency Program at the University of Kansas Medical Center. And uh, I also have to tell all of you, I have to share with all of you out there, that uh, Dr. Deb uh, is one of my mentors coming up uh, as a medical student resident. She, especially when it comes to being an advocate for my patients, an advocate for uh, family medicine, and uh, it was actually, and I was thinking about this today, it was actually 10 years ago this summer uh, when I gave my first speech in a big room 
running for national officer of my, uh, at, through our professional organization, who I've uh, mentioned on this show here before. Uh, and one of the most frightening professional moments of my life, I have to tell you about that. <laughs> um, and I'll talk about that on a different show one of these days. Uh, and uh, it's just been a great, a great ride since then. And uh, um, Deb has been an inspiration to me uh, through this path, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, and as I've mentioned through these shows, especially in the most recent shows, I've really felt a calling to share the story of family medicine and family ducks because the, I really believe in my heart that family ducks are the solution to the healthcare problem in this country. And uh, I hope, I know our guests will have some thoughts about that. But first, I would like to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show here again this evening on the front page. Welcome to those of you who are new to the show. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. I am a family physician here in full-time private practice, meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office in beautiful northeastern Ohio. And uh, if you're listening live, you can see my shining face here on the webcam here uh, this evening. You can also enter our chat room. And I want to give a big shout-out to the people in our chat room there. We have Kimmy, we have Liz, we have Ramona. And I know that sometimes Blog Talk Radio here has a problem with you getting in the chat room. If you're waiting to get in the chat room, be patient, and uh, you'll get in here to join the chat room here in just a little bit. Now, before I go to the break, um, I do want to take a moment to thank everyone out there uh, for birthday wishes yesterday. Um, it was just overwhelming. Uh, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or texting um, and even non-digital greetings <laughs> like catching me in the hall or a card or a gift. Um, and I'll talk more about that on Saturday night show, which will be 8 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, maybe I'll talk about that at the end of the interview uh, this evening. So uh, now that all of that is out of the way, I will uh, take my break. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show, a member, a proud member of the Family Medicine Education Consortium. You can get there by going to fmec.net, a member of the uh, Better Health Network at getbetterhealth.com, and a member of the ProMed Network, a podcast at promednetwork.com. And we'll be right back. That's right, lowering your blood pressure one point at a time. This is the Dr. Live on Blog Talk Radio. And on the line we have with us right now, uh, Dr. Deb Clements. Uh, Deb, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. I can't believe it's been 10 years. And then I thought, how did you know? And it's because your birthday was yesterday, so of course you knew. 
That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we were just showing right before the show started. Last time I saw you um, was uh, was last month in Kansas City, and uh, it was uh, I was going up the escalator, and you were coming down the escalator, and uh, we were just going to whatever meeting we were going to, and like one or two days later. Um, I see on your Facebook page, which we'll get into in a little bit, that you're in Haiti. I just can't believe that. <laughs> it, was, it was remarkable. It was just remarkable. The timing worked out for me and something I always wanted to do and never had the opportunity to do, and so I went. Well, great. Well, uh, as I always start with, with my interviews, a very, very difficult, a very hardball question, a very difficult question for you to start out with. Um, what What makes you passionate about family medicine? What gets you up in the morning to go to work to, to, to practice medicine, especially family medicine? Oh, my gosh. I love family medicine. I just love family medicine. When I was at the Keystone 3 conference years ago, um, someone, and I don't remember who it was, said every opportunity you get, make sure you tell people how much you love family medicine. I, I was um, a latecomer to medicine. I was in my 30s before I even went to medical school. So I had a whole life in, uh, before medicine. And um, and I use that as a foil with which to compare everything that I've been able to do since. Uh, you know, I think, oh, sometimes we complain about how hard our job is. And the reality is, gosh, a hard job is a job you got to do to pay the rent and feed your family uh, that you get no respect for. And that is not medicine and certainly not family medicine. Uh, every day is different. I had a student that came in yesterday. It was a rising second-year student because we're, we're sort of between years now. And he said, um, he said, gosh, this experience has been so different than I expected it to be. And I said, well, what did you expect? And he said, well, mostly snotty noses. <laughs> and as you know, there are days when we think, gosh, I wish I could have a snotty nose in here um, because it's just so amazing. Uh, every day is different. Every day is cool, um, and you just get to do a, a whole range of things, including things like go to Haiti. Wow. Hmm. So, so you said you, you found family medicine, uh, I guess, a little bit later than, than what, uh, what people would find as career. Uh, what, uh, what kind of influences did you have to, to draw you towards uh, family medicine? Well, the, the truth of the matter is I always wanted to be a doctor. Even when I was a small child, I'd, I'd go trout fishing with my dad, and I remember bringing the fish home, and I was allowed to um, gut the fish and found the whole process just fascinating um, at five or six years old. And so I knew I was a little bit different than the average child even then. Uh, but I came from a family where um, medicine was, was not something that we even really interacted with, let alone had as a part of our family. Um, it just seemed like an impossible dream to me when I was a child. And uh, and then I had the, the wonderful experience of having a college advisor who said, well, y- you should think of something different because um, you're a woman, first of all, and, and that's against you, and and I don't really think you're smart enough to be a doctor. And so, so I thought, well, maybe he's right. And so I took a few years off, um, like 15 at that point, um, <laughs> wow. but yeah, but I came to a time in my life where um, I had some major personal changes and realized that I was wasting my time if I was going to spend my life in front of a computer screen. And and it's really interesting that we're at this intersection because that was back in the 80s, um, which is like 
probably about the time you were born would be my guess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I was in like the original back when we couldn't imagine why anybody would want a color screen computer days. Um, but but I thought about that and thought, you know, medicine is still my passion. Um, I was around the periphery of medicine working in business at a hospital and um, decided, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to apply. And so I um, I applied one time to one school and got in. And the rest is, is kind of, for me, history. Um, I, I always knew family medicine was for me. Um, every rotation I did just confirmed that even more because I loved everything that I did and couldn't imagine not doing any of it. Uh, so it, it was just a natural match. Wow. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember back, I, I had, uh, uh, for me, um, I, had a, I had a very tough time uh, in, the, in the middle of medical school, and uh, I had to take uh, some time away because there's a lot of stresses from here and there going on. Um, and what the medical school did was they, they kept me... Uh, uh, to keep my clinical skills up, and they they uh, um, they placed me in a uh, family medicine clinic, basically, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to kind of shadow docs and and to keep up my clinical skills. Um, and that was kind of part where I where I kind of fell in love with the specialty too. Um, and uh, it's interesting uh, talking with people, and, and as I talk with more people, it's interesting sharing their stories about how they end up where they end up. Um, and sometimes it is, you know, a, a uh, a bend in the road or a fork in the road or, um, you know, some kind of situation and uh, you don't know where you end up, but then 10 years later you're like, oh, well, maybe that was the time of my life when uh, I needed um, something to happen or a decision to take place. And, and at the time you're like, uh, at least for me, I'm like, well, I don't know if I still even want to be in medical school at all. Right, um, exactly. And uh, I just kept going and uh, um, I just found my own way. And uh, um, that's how I got Got in. I got really passionate into it, and uh, and you know that that's how it went for me. So I totally understand where, where you're coming from. Where it's very similar. Well, you know, there's a saying that we have that there are no accidents, and even though it doesn't make a lot of sense at the time, um, things do in the retrospectoscope. Uh, you know, the the path seems crooked while you're doing it, but in the end, it, it makes a little bit of sense. I look back to when I was in high school. Um, my mom was in a near-fatal accident, and we lived in a really small community, and our family doctor was the one that kept us connected as a family and kept us in touch with the subspecialists that were 90 miles away where she was in the hospital. And so even though he wasn't directly caring for her, he was the one that really made sure our family got through it. And, and I always drew on that and realized that that was the kind of doctor I wanted to be was the one that, that really understood the length and breadth of life. Um, and, yeah, I mean, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll get into a little bit your, your passion, not only for family medicine, but for being an educator as well. I'd like to dip into that a little bit too. Um, but uh, in medical school and in residency, um, did you have any kind of exposure to um, international medicine? Or I would presume, you know, you had some rural experiences uh, too, as far as that type of medicine being practiced. Sure, I was I was fortunate enough to go to a school where they really emphasized um, the significance of the experience you can have in rural communities, uh, because I had, at the time I went to medical school, three children, and by residency, four children. 
um, it was really not feasible for me to do a lot of international work because I had some other responsibilities to attend to. Um, but but we did get the experience of being placed in rural communities for extended periods of time. Um, as a resident, I spent two months in a in a um, very rural community where we were the whole show. Um, we did everything from uh, covering the ER all night long to doing general surgery and running the 12-bed hospital that we had. Um, so it was a, a real immersion kind of experience. Um, then, you know, got to see my fam family only periodically during that couple of months. But uh, I think it was foundational for me to really understand how uh, pivotal a dot can be to a community and, and, and what it is to be a member of a community in that way. Um, and I know I, I know we well I mean we talked a bunch but um, you know your your foundation education um, following residency were you in private practice at all before you went into education or how did that story go? Yeah, I didn't. I um I, I again I was like older than the average bear, and I had been um, fortunate to be a member of board of directors of a major organization, and they said why don't you come join us and be on our staff. And it was a, it was a big decision for me because I had um, I'd really planned on going into full scope practice, doing deliveries, um, you know, taking care of everybody cradle to grave like we do with family medicine. And I thought, gosh, if I do this, this is really going to change the capacity for me to be able to practice medicine in a way that I can't I can't foresee. On the other hand, it really is going to allow me to use some skills that I have because I'd been in business before. And so I can use these skills in a way that, that may be unique to the, the trajectory my career is going to take. And so, you know, I ultimately agreed to take the, the position, uh, moved my family um, several hundred miles, and, um, and spent, gosh, six great years doing that job that I just loved. I loved because it gave me the 50,000-foot view of what happens in medicine around the country. Um, and uh, so it was a, it was an experience I wouldn't have given up for anything. In during that time, I was able to practice medicine in a variety of ways. I did some locums work, and um, and worked in some urgent cares to keep my my actual clinical skills active. And was really concerned that I'd have to give up doing deliveries, which was a piece of my practice that I never really wanted to to ab absent myself from. Um, as it turned out, I didn't have to. Um, I, you know, I was welcomed into this residency program where I work now, and they allowed me to come back and refresh my skills, and I'm back to doing full scope. Uh, so it's great. I couldn't have asked for a, for a better road to take. Wow, that's a, yeah, that's interesting. I, I never knew that before. Um, I mean, that kind of that whole story, and, and uh, I mean, and that's kind of you and I. That's how you and I met, kind of doing organizational type of medicine type of stuff, and uh, um, you know that experience. And I still use today, and. Uh, I'm trying to learn how things work from that 50,000 foot level and trying to see how things fit together as opposed to at the grassroots level. Um, and that's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, uh, and, and, and when I finished residency, um, you know, I, I, I kind of had the same decision as like, well, I, I had a lot of opportunities to say, Oh, you know, should I, um, do full-time clinical practice or should I split or should I do full-time academics? Because I saw like all the benefits of all of that um, and uh, it, it was very, uh, very interesting to try to talk with people who are in 
those spheres and say, hey, you know, what are the benefits of this or what are the drawbacks of this? Um, and, uh, and my path is, is, is in clinical medicine right now. And, uh, you know, and that's one of the, the joys of family medicine is that you can change that at any time. But, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing as well right now. And uh, I still see medical students every once in a while and residents. And uh, I kind of uh, fulfill my teaching bug for residents. Uh, so that's fun, too. I totally agree with you. I mean, that is, that's the coolest thing about family medicine is that you can change your practice at, at any time in your career. And, you know, one of the the qualities I think we all have as family docs is that we're not satisfied doing just one thing. Um, in, a little, in a little way, it's kind of ADD. <laughs> We've got to do this, <laughs> yeah. we got to do that, and then some of this, some of that. Um, but it is certainly never dull, and you, you really have gosh, so much opportunity um, that, that it's, um, it, it's the fullest life I can imagine. I look at life as either you're either getting more and more constricted and smaller and smaller until you're dead, or you continue to get expansive and, and sort of fade out like you do on the horizon, you know. Um, and so I just think my life just gets bigger and bigger and bigger every single day, um, and family medicine's brought that to me. I've been really blessed in that way. Uh, now, particularly about education, what what uh, what makes you passionate about um, educating, you know, students and residents, and, and and why do you love that aspect of family medicine so much? It's amazing to me to watch how people develop as they go through um, the the trial that we call medical education, but to to watch them come to the point where they have questions that not only do they not know the answer to but no one knows the answer to. And, and I think that's a, just an amazing piece of human development to get to the point where you really do have a comprehension uh, that, that tells you, gosh, this is a question that hasn't been answered yet, and I have that in my head. Um, to be able to play a role in, in that foundation and the, the formation of docs, the piece that I, that I value the most is to be able to bring uh, the human side to that there are lots and lots of people that, that can teach the clinical piece and can teach uh, the biochemical piece, which I would never even imagine that I would want to teach. Um, but what I like to bring is the intersection of what's going on in this patient's life and how can you take what you know um, through your medical training and help them translate that into better health and a better life for themselves. And what can you do to facilitate that? And to watch that light come on for students and residents to realize that they can be an integral part in, in a patient's life is, is just phenomenal to me. Uh, and that, that keeps me going every single day, every single day. Um, and what if you could share a little bit about uh, with, with, uh, with the audience here as far as um, um, the, the practice situation that uh, the program is in as far as what kind of setting it is, how big the hospital is, how big, yeah. you know, that type of thing. We're a major university, and so it's, a, it's kind of a crazy place. And, you know, I suppose many of the listening audience, like, watch Grey's Anatomy or those kinds of things. And so it's big like that, although that's not, that doesn't approximate real life at all. <laughs> So, so we <laughs> yeah. have, yeah, <laughs> we all know that, but um, we have kind of three different settings and maybe four settings that we practice in. We have our clinic, which is an outpatient um, experience that our students and residents are in. And we have, have 30 residents in our program, so it's a pretty big program. 
um, they trained for three years. In um, t- uh, let's see, 27 of them train in that in that setting. Three of them go to a rural uh, setting that we have out. Uh, I don't know about 90 miles from here in a real rural community. Um, so they do outpatient care, and so that would be like when you go to your doctor for your physical exam, or when you when you need when you have an acute illness, or you need your diabetes taken care of. We also take care of folks in the hospital. Um, we have a, a very large hospital with many, many, many subspecialists there. Um, you know, all the way from um, us to oncologists and transplant services, and so it's a really big, big organization. Um, we take care of people in that hospital, and our, our role there is to um, take care of their their critical illnesses that tend to be chronic, um, but also to engage other subspecialists in the care of our patients. And so, um, we um, we connect people and we help help our patients through their illnesses and bring on other consultants as we need to. Um, for example, cardiologists or pulmonologists or whoever we may need to help in the care of those patients. Um, we deliver babies, and so um, we take care of people throughout their whole pregnancy in our clinic and then deliver them in our hospital, and our residents learn how to do that. And, uh, and then we also have nursing homes that we work through. And so it's a, it's a huge, huge operation. Uh, you know, and our goal is to help people learn while they're doing, uh, you know, it's kind of the original apprenticeship model, um, but but to supervise them carefully so that that nobody um, nobody does anything that could ever hurt a patient, um, but to help them learn through through the laboratory of having these experiences. Um, so it's a it's a real careful balance um, that we do in residency training. And at the end, uh, you know, we we produce phenomenal family physicians that we can put out into rural Kansas and other places around the country. Um, so uh, that's in a nutshell kind of what we do every day. Can, uh, can you share a little bit about, uh, I guess, your patient population? Is it all over the board as far as rural and urban and suburban and that type of thing? Or We have a real interesting patient population. I just started thinking about this this year. Um, we have... Uh, almost a reverse referral kind of a population. Um, we've got our local community, and then we've got the the families of the people who work at the hospital, whether they're faculty or staff. But then we also have a lot of people that come to the university uh, because of the subspecialty care they get. For example, I have a whole group of patients suddenly in my practice that have head and neck cancers um, that needed primary care. And so I happened to be caring for a resident who was working in that department, and he said, oh, gosh, these people need a regular physician, Um, and so he's sending his patients to me. Uh, And so it's a really rewarding experience in that we see, gosh, we see disease to the extent that it's really difficult to see in the community uh, and can be very rewarding to help people figure out how do they navigate um, these terrible illnesses that they have and figure out what to do with that in the context of their lives. Um, and as far as the residents that graduate uh, from your program, um, there's been a lot of literature and trends as far as uh, different than when I graduated as far okay. as there's a lot of physicians who are you know, just practice in the hospital or there are some doctors who are just in the office and don't go to the hospital. Um, what's been kind of the experience in your program? 
we have been fortunate to have everybody across the board. It, uh, one of the things, and this is sort of a shameless plug for our residency program, one of the things we do in our program is allow residents to tailor their experience for what they think they're going to want to do when they're finished. And so we do have a fair number of docs that do full scope medicine in the traditional sense. Uh, but then we also have people that um, want to do just ER work, for example, and so they do that, or want to do palliative care, or want to do pain medicine, or um, international work. Um, we have um, a couple of recent graduates that are hospitalists, so they only take care of people in a hospital setting. They don't have an outpatient setting, um, so it really can range across the entire spectrum. Um, and, you know, again, one of the real beauties of family medicine is that, that you can do that. You have the latitude to do that. Um, our guest is uh, Dr. Deb Clements, the uh, program director at the Family Medicine Residency Program at the University of Kansas uh, Medical Center. And uh, how long have you been at the program there, Deb? I've been there six years now. Wow. I know. It's crazy. Amazing. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe that. Um <laughs> uh, so, um, so yeah. So let's move into this uh, this Haiti topic here. Um, I, I guess kind of to start at that at the beginning there, as far as you know, um, that hear about this experience beforehand, or how, how how did this kind of all play out? Well, we've you know, in in just in life in general recently, it seems like there's been a lot of um, disasters that have happened around the world, and as physicians, you always feel this tug on your heart. Um, and, and I suspect all of us do um, to go and help. And that's why we—that's why we're in medicine. Um, I've never been in a position where I could actually do something like this before. Um, a friend of mine um, happened to go over there, and I was—I was reading some of the the blogs that she had written, some postings that she had written, and I thought, gosh, what an amazing, amazing opportunity. And at that point, um, Heart to Heart International, which is a a group that does medical mission work um, throughout the world happens to be based out of Kansas. Uh, they sent out a plea um, for folks to, to go down and help with their initiatives in Haiti. And uh, as, as crazy as our timing is everywhere and our call schedules and so on, um, with the work of my chair, I, you know, I, was, I was blessed enough to be able to figure out my schedule really pretty quickly. Um, to be able to commit to a 10-day experience down in Haiti, um, the um, and so I went through uh, with, through the help of Heart to Heart International, um, went down there. Um, the the interesting thing about the organization is, you know, you pay your way, and you pay while you stay there, and so it is truly a volunteer kind of a function. Um, but people come from all over the country. I didn't go with anybody that I knew. Um, it was it was just sign up. This is the time that we can take you, and show up and and see who's there and and what they need you to do. Um, so I have to admit I was really really nervous about going. Um, I've done international travel before, but it's been staying in nice hotels and having my meals in restaurants and touring touring the towns. I didn't have anything to do with um, with field work like this. Wow. Huh. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be, you know, very anxious kind of going there as well. Uh, if for anything else, just, um, you know, just watching and reading the news reports and seeing what's happening on the ground there and, exactly. Um, exactly. and that type of thing. 
the uh, you know I got a little foreshadowing into how it was going to be. My flight went from from here in Kansas City to um, Dallas and then Miami, and I I spent the night in Miami, four hours of it, and then we were going to fly over to Haiti. And early the morning that I was going to Haiti, I got to the airport in Miami, and there was a very very thin woman um, who was Haitian, based on uh, uh, she was speaking Creole, and she was there with somebody who appeared to be her dad. Um, both very very thin, all their belongings in a in a paper bag, and they got they they were boarding the plane, and she got as far as the entrance to to the um, the jetway, and she stopped and she started wailing and she said, no no, I'm not going back, I'm not going back, and collapsed on the floor. Wow. So security came and took her and sat her in one of the chairs, and you know eventually they got her back on the plane. Um, but I thought, oh my goodness, this is this is really what this is going to be like, um, because people there. Now it was it was um, much later when I went. You know, I was there in May. The the um, earthquake happened in January, and mm-hmm. the um, you know the description we got of the earthquake, and and I think it, it was it's so difficult to get your brain around what happened there, even though we see the news reports and we see. The devastation and and you know and that sort of sandwiched in our morning while we're getting ready for work and then we go on about our day. Um, when the plane landed, everywhere you looked was destroyed. It was just destroyed. Um, the the um, the description that we got was that it was the middle of the afternoon, and they'd had a few tremors you know over the nights before, but nothing that really had disturbed anybody too much. And then. In 90 seconds, everything fell down. Wow. The noise was deafening. They said the noise was absolutely incredible. And then when the noise stopped, all you could hear for hours and hours and hours were people screaming. Wow. Um, I just, it, it was unbelievable. Port-au-Prince is an enormous city, and it's, a, it's an industrialized city just like any city here in the United States. Uh, but if you can imagine looking around the city where you live and everywhere your eyes land, the buildings are down. The buildings are rubble. Uh, that's what Port-au-Prince looks like. And the the challenge for the people there is they, they were poor to begin with. Um, they didn't have much before the earthquake. And now there's no way to move that rubble. There's nowhere to put it. Um, it it's just the the movement that's happening even still is by hand. Um, and and where does it go? You know, they're an island, and so there's really nowhere to put anything. Uh, it, it was I was not prepared for the level of devastation that we saw there. Um, so uh, so clinically, then, so uh, so did the organization have the guys uh, there? Did you have to bring anything yourself at all? Or? That's a great question. I, you know, when before I left, I got a call from Heart to Heart that on my home phone that said, "Would you mind carrying some things down there for us?" And I thought, "Well, of course not. You know, I'm only going to take scrubs, and I've got an extra suitcase." So, I I carried some things for them, and other people that arrived the same time I did brought suitcases full of, of pharmaceutical supplies and surgical supplies and so on. Um, we are so accustomed to believing that if you forget something, well, you can send it or you can get it there somehow. Right. There's no mail in Haiti. You can't right. send anything to Haiti um, because there's no way to deliver it. And many of the things that get to the airport, 
um, disappear at the airport. Wow. And so, I, you know, it's 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 almost impossible to get your brain around, well, what do you mean you can't overnight that? <laughs> right, <laughs> There's right. no such thing as sending things. So everything we had, people had brought. Um, and whether it was, you know, the USS Comfort when it was down there brought many, many supplies, and then people have been bringing things by suitcase ever since. Um, we had a, a variety of, of things that were donated, and people are very, very generous in doing so. Um, unfortunately, there's a there's a big mismatch sometimes between what the needs are and what's available. And so I was there 10 days. Um, during that time, um, I was able to do some really cool experiences. I spent the first five days in um, in the Laogon area, which is where the epicenter of the earthquake was. I hadn't planned on doing that. I planned on being in Port-au-Prince where there's a, an existing structure and people work out of the same clinic every day. Um, but the wisdom of the group prevailed, and I was sent out to Laogon, uh, which is a, a much more rustic kind of an experience. Um, we had Internet. Uh, but we did not have hot water. <laughs> so wow. That's, it was well, a I, real, I, let me just yeah. think about that for a second here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Internet, but no hot water. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. And then we slept in mosquito netting because you know, the reality is dengue fever is a real thing, and you can get malaria, and we had patients that had all of those things. So um, we slept on army cots in mosquito netting, um, but we could get on the Internet intermittently uh, yeah. in that in that community uh, we had a mobile clinic and so every day um, we we'd pack up our things and we'd go by tap tap have you heard of tap taps i have not and, heard of that <laughs> tap taps are these amazingly colored vehicles that that they spend actually a fair amount of money painting uh, because the the prevailing belief is that if it's if it's painted well it must be cared for well and so must be mechanically sound. Um, they're, they're, they're public transportation, and so they're trucks that have a cap on the back, and people jump on and off kind of at will as you're driving down the street. And it's called a tap-tap because somebody either bangs on the tailgate or on the, the roof of the truck to let the driver know when to stop and when to go. And so they tap-tap. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, oh. And you know, only one in, one in about 20 Haitians has a car. Of any okay. sort, so it's it's really critical for them to have that kind of transportation to just move about the city. Um, so we'd take either a tap tap or a driver that that we had um, to go from place to place during the day, and we'd set up a mobile clinic. Uh, and and I know you saw some of the pictures of of some of the places we were. Um, really, um, no water, no electricity, um, out out in the open. And and then we would just take all comers, um, so all ages, all illnesses, anything that we could take care of, we did. Huh. So so how many people were were, were staying there at at Lagon where you were sleeping? At there? Lagon, I mean, there were, big... Yeah, that was really pretty small. There were four of us at Lagon. Uh, myself, huh. um, a resident who happened to be from Wichita, uh, although we hadn't traveled together, um, I had known him uh, previously. And then a PA from Oregon and uh, and a physician from Maine, um, and we um, the four of us usually saw you know on average one of us served as a pharmacist, 
um, to dispense any of the medications or, or find supplies that we may have needed throughout the day. And then the other three were providers through translators because nobody speaks any English really down there. Um, okay. And we would see, you know, on average 80, 80 patients a day, I would say. Um, mm. it, it, it got awfully hot during the day, and so we'd work until about 3 or 4 o'clock, but that was that was the extent of it. Um, because mm-hmm. there were no bathrooms, you really had to be careful about your water intake. Um, so sure. it's kind of a careful balance between how hydrated can you stay and what facilities were available, you know. Huh. How about uh, how about like safety wise? Where you were staying and when you were working, what was that we, at all? Yeah, we stayed and during that week we stayed in a Mennonite camp that was a camp for girls in Haiti, and that was relatively safe. They said during the earthquake they had some some initial issues because they knew that there was food at that site, and so you know they were really pretty careful about that, but. I'll tell you, our, our translators were so conscious all the time of making sure that we were safe and knowing that, that we really didn't speak the language well um, and, and had no idea where we were most of the time. Um, you know, I couldn't have located us on a map um, because I had no idea geographically where we were. And so they, they did a really good job of, of watching out for us and making sure that we didn't get any into any situations that might be dangerous. Um, in Port-au-Prince, the clinic in Port-au-Prince is in um, probably the second most dangerous neighborhood in Haiti. Um, wow. And, that, um, and that, that was a little um, interesting from time to time. Um, you, you didn't really go anywhere outside of that clinic without having an escort, um, and that was men and women both. Um, many of the people that had been there up until the earthquake really hadn't seen anybody um, that looked like us or talked like us. or uh, It was a, a pretty different experience. Um, I had a little girl in a, in a school that uh, I was seeing both her and her mom, who was about six months pregnant. And um, she, you could tell she'd never seen anybody with blonde hair. Um, she was pretty fascinated by just my hair. <laughs> and, but she was pretty afraid of me as well. And I listened to her mom's chest, and I listened to her heart, and put the stethoscope in the little girl's ears so she could hear. And her face just lit up when she heard her mom's heartbeat. And she broke into song. And this little girl just sang me this most beautiful song in Creole, and then she was okay. Um, wow. She let me she let me work with her. Uh, you know, I think that was the the most astonishing thing to me was People are living in tents. They have no electricity. They stay up all night and sing so that they're not robbed during the night, and so they sleep in shifts. And yet they're happy, and they play, and they they do all of the ordinary things that we would do if we weren't in crisis. Uh, the the right. resilience was incredible to me. Huh. Now, uh, now clinically, um uh, the cases that you saw, or did you see some cases that you only saw on a board exam or, you know, those type yes. of unusual type oh, cases? Oh, my goodness, yes. I saw more tropical disease. We saw filariasis, um, and after a little bit of research, you know, we'd see our patients, and then we'd go home, and thanks to the Internet, we could research these diseases that we'd only read about 20 years ago um, and and figure out what was going on with people. Um, come to find out, Laogon is, uh, filariasis is endemic in Laogon. 
And it was a really interesting discussion that we had with our translators because we were just, we were high-fiving one another that we figured out what was going on. We had a man who had incredibly swollen uh, swollen testicles and scrotum. Uh, Well, it was filariasis that he had. And, wow, we figured it out. We came back the next day and told the translators, and they said, oh, yeah, we know that. (laughs) (laughs) We know that they're not even medical, and they knew. Um, Much like we know just diseases that we have. We know chickenpox. Everybody here knows chickenpox. Well, everybody really knows filariasis. Wow. So was it all like clinical skills? Did you have a lab? Did you have any kind of testing? No, 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 no. Oh, heavens, no. And that that was a real awakening in terms of being a family doc and understanding how to do a decent clinical exam and go on your clinical suspicion and not having we had no labs we honestly we didn't even have water we had no running water and so there was no way to do any kind of testing beyond what you could assess on a physical exam Um, so on one hand um, what we did was the best we could do on the other hand, you know, I worry a little bit that, gosh, we we missed a lot of things, I'm sure, because there was no way to know what was happening. Um, we did have some, some fairly critical cases that came in. Um, I had a man that, that came in um, next to the last day I was there that had been working outside and, and dropped a 55-gallon drum of oil and amputated half of the fingers on his left hand wow. um, and just walked into the clinic you know, with his with his hand that way. Um, yeah. And so, we, you know, we could take him to hospital by tap-tap. Um, it was a long trip, um, fairly bumpy, and um, uh, but we could get him there. Most of the, um, the critical care kinds of environment um, was being run at that time by U.S. docs because the Haitian doctors were on strike. And so um, at least when we got to the, to the kind of makeshift tent ERs, uh, everybody spoke English, and so we could communicate mm. a little more rapidly than what we could through translators. Um, so that that was that was really interesting. They're in they're in such dire need there. You know, we had a, a circumstance where we took a um, a, a young kid um, in for an appendicitis, likely appendicitis, and they took him back to the OR, and it, it was in fact appendicitis. But while he was back in the OR, we were there with another patient, and the power went out. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm not sure what stage they were in that surgery when the power went, uh, but there um. really weren't any generators to back them up. Um, the other issue is that they don't have uh, really critical care equipment like we do. Right. And so there were, they had three ventilators in that hospital, in the general hospital in in Port-au-Prince. Um, we were there one day when all three of the gen- the, the uh, ventilators were occupied. Um, they brought in a 22-year-old that needed a ventilator, and you know a decision had to be made. They extubated the 86-year-old, washed off the tube, and intubated the 22-year-old. Um, wow. So decisions that we just don't have to face. Yeah, sure. So we're really insulated from that. Hmm. Um, let's just share a little bit about the uh, the social media angle there. You said you had uh, you had internet but no hot water. Um, and the first <laughs> I learned that that you were there was uh, on your Facebook page. Was that something that you consciously wanted to to share, um, you know, with your family, obviously, uh, while you were there, or what what was your thinking with that? I absolutely didn't. In fact, beyond that, I used Skype. 
and I I was there during Mother's Day, and I, it was it was so amazing to be able to Skype my mom, and my stepmom, and to be able to have all my kids talk to me on Skype. So that was really very very cool because cell phones didn't work at all. Um, so other than that, we had no verbal communication. I had um, I I had planned to use Facebook as just a way to share pictures while I was there. Um, so that I could download my pictures and make sure that that um, everybody had a sense of where I was, mainly my family. But it really got much bigger, um, and, and it became a way uh, to journal what I was doing, and also stay connected with people back home. Um, I, without the the benefit of social media, I, I'm really worried that um, it, it could have been a, an extremely, um, uh, almost depressing kind of a situation to be in. Uh, because you're so isolated, and the days were were difficult. They were very, very difficult. And so it was a great way to be able to decompress and say, you know, look what we did today. And then the benefit was amazing because I, I think we recruited more people to come. Uh, we were able to really put a human face on what was happening there in a way that you, you don't get from television. Uh, so So that was really neat. Uh, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. Um, just reading your posts, even though they were, you know, um, a dozen lines or something like that, um, uh-huh. uh, your your descriptions there was just like, wow. I mean, it was it was like, you know, we were there or, you know, it was very concise, but it was very descriptive at times. And adding the pictures with that, um, it, it really set a picture in my mind um, to even, you know, kind of approximate um, what was happening, what you were doing, um, and you're right. I mean, without social media, I mean, none of that really would have happened or you wouldn't have that kind of raw-type experience or emotion that you put in those posts um, right. well, in real time right there. That's absolutely true because so much happened. I, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in an experience like that where every day was so full that to be able to talk about that even doing this interview with you, Mike, I, I you know, think about well, what what pieces of my time there do I talk about, and how do I make that real for people? And there was too much. There were every day there were there were so many people. You know, I remember one day there was a a man who he just had PTSD, and in my box of tricks in that pharmacy, I didn't have anything to treat PTSD with. And I couldn't really talk to him about it because I don't even speak his language. Right. Um, and so I, I remember looking at him and looking at the, just the curl of his eyelashes and what a beautiful face he had and what a great life he had before this earthquake and thinking, how do I integrate this experience in, with, with my reality in my life? And it, as crazy as it sounds, Facebook was a way to do that. Um, and and on on the plane home, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about this very intense experience, um, um, I would imagine there are probably things that you learned about yourself or learned about your life experiences up to that point. What, what was your thoughts when you were home from that very intense experience? Gosh, that's a great question. I um, I have uh, the last couple of years have been an interesting time for me. Um, because I've become a cancer survivor in the last couple of years. And so one of the the things that this 
my family wasn't all that crazy about me going because they're worried about me catching something or, you know, they nearly lost me once. They don't want to lose me again. And there were tremors while we were there. Um, there were There's the threat of another earthquake, certainly. On the way back, I what occurred to me was that this trip allowed me, in a way, to reclaim my life and to be able to say I can fully invest in giving back to others again and it made me realize I'm well, um, which was a, a, an experience I didn't expect to have. Um, so that, that's that wasn't something I really planned on sharing on this call. But um, but that was my thought on the way back home. That how how fortunate we all are in in what we have in our country. Um, how we take that for granted an awful lot. Um, at least I do. I know I do. I you know I get tired during my day and and don't realize. Um, how blessed I am. My translator was a is a 22-year-old guy who had a tailor shop and had a house and had a motorcycle and was going to college. And in 90 seconds, he has no house, no motorcycle, no college, no store anymore. And in his lifetime, I'm not sure if that's ever going to be back. Um, and yet he goes on and he's making, you know, a Gosh, I, I don't even want to say how little a week translating for us just to try and help his country come back to where it was. And so um, it really brought me full circle in terms of, of how fortunate I am. And, gosh, what can I do to really give back now? So that's where I am. Um, our guest is uh, Dr. Jeff Clements, a family physician. Uh, from the University of Kansas uh, Medical Center, um, and, uh, um, and I guess uh, as we're uh, uh, starting to close up here, let's kind of uh, uh, switch gears again here, and um, I guess just try and kind of talk about um, you know um, social media um, in general, because uh, I'm always curious um, about how, especially physicians who traditionally are slow on the uptake when it comes to technology. Uh, as far as how, how did you how did you find social media or Facebook? Is was it your get you know, on Facebook truth, or Twitter? Yeah, the truth of the matter is I'm an early adopter, uh, and I'm way the wrong demographic for that. I'm way too old. Uh, but Facebook has been a great way for my family. We have seven children, and we're going to have twelve grandchildren by the end of this year. Uh, for us to keep in touch with everyone about what's happening in our lives. Uh, it's been just a phenomenal, phenomenal tool for us. Um, Twitter, I've kind of dabbled in Twitter. Um, I have a residency account. I have a personal account. And it's it's fun and it's a huge time suck if you let it. Uh, but, but I've really found, you know, I, I know there are a lot of people in medicine that are worried that, that Web 2.0, uh, soon to be Web 3.0, is... Um, is a treacherous kind of a thing. Um, but in fact, I think it connects us in ways that, that we can't even imagine um, that, that really bring a lot of value to our lives. Um, so I, we had an ethical discussion about this in our residency recently, and, and I've made the decision to be um, sort of authentic. And so I'm the same person on Facebook that I am in real life, and I, I friend lots and lots of people, and it's allowed me to kind of connect the dots in ways that I'm not sure I'd have been able to do without it. Um, so 
I'm all in. I, I, I'm really excited <laughs> about what the future holds. <laughs> uh, well, then let me uh, let me let me pick your brain here a little bit as far as cause uh-huh. I get you know kind of one of the things that I'm trying to do is you know to spread to, to spread the message of family medicine, especially to get family docs to you know utilize uh, social media, um, sure. especially personally and with their patients. Um, how, how do you think that? you know, we can get family docs more familiar with it, more comfortable with using social media? Well, I think we have to get past the fear, um, past the fear of having your identity stolen or things being posted about you that you'd rather not have posted. Uh, and that's a real fear. Um, the, so, uh, you know, there are, there are some sort of rules of the road that you have to learn just like you did with anything else. But, gosh, I grew up using a party line phone. I'm not even sure if you even know what that is. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah I've heard that. <laughs> so we, yeah, you heard about it back in the old movies. You know, we had to make sure that what we said on the phone was acceptable because we knew that the neighbor down the street was listening to everything we said. Right. And so I guess right. Facebook isn't all that different for me. Um, but when I think about high school students in rural Kansas right now that maybe have one doc in their community that they don't know, how the distance between them being able to ever perceive of themselves, having a career in medicine, uh, that distance can be so shortened by meeting somebody on Facebook, by knowing somebody who does what they want to do, and realizing that it's not that big of a leap, and that that they're able to do it, they're qualified to do it, and there are lots and lots of ways that, that we can help them. Uh, will I drive there? No, I'm not going to drive there. It's It's a long, long ways for me to go. Um, but gosh, I can do that through the internet in a way that there was not possible before. Um, so it closes those gaps. Um, I'm working to get my colleagues to think the same way. You know, at the the um, Kansas chapter of our organization, uh, we've we've really reached out in the last year, and we're starting to actually do some business on Facebook, um, wow. which is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, we've got a yeah. mentoring group that we're we're using that as one of the tools. And so I think it's coming, um, maybe that my generation of docs never, ever catches on with. But, um, but you know, emails for old people. I don't know if you've heard that or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, 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 I remember you and I having discussions about uh, uh, listservs right? back in the yeah. day. Yeah, I remember and how, and how to get medical students. And residents how to communicate on listservs, and I was they like, you know, for a yeah. year, I, I was like the listserv guy for like a year trying to get exactly. people to use the thing. And well, uh, I will now tell you, sure. While while I was in Haiti, I, I had a small group uh, PBL session that I was teaching, and yeah, and for a variety of reasons, including our server went down, um, I wasn't able to pull it off. But we we tried to arrange to Skype the course while I was in Haiti. I was going to instruct it. And all of my group was ready to get on board on on Skype, uh, so it's it's totally possible. And learners now are thinking that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been um, and we were talking before before the show. I mean, you know, I, I've been reading blogs since 2005, and and uh, I started blog, you know, as as kind of this anonymous. I'm like the least anonymous person now. <laughs> and there, I video on there. I have my 
like a uh, a joke, but it's kind of it's kind of funny actually. Um, and this podcast, this show, has been almost three years now, so it's just. Um, and it's just, and it's still a hobby for me. You know, I have a full-time job, and I'm, there's no way I'm going to be doing this full-time. But, but uh, just doing this more and more and more, experimenting with the medium here has just been amazing for me in trying to innovate some of this stuff and trying to teach some of this stuff. Now, we're asking me about Facebook and Twitter and podcasts and video and that type of thing. So, so things are slowly starting to come around, um, and, and I'm very hopeful that people are going to know about it more. Well, I agree, and I think if there's any way that I can push valid information out to my patients, um, this is the way to do it, uh, because left to their own devices, they're going to find websites that, that probably are not the place I'd really want them to get information. Um, so it's management of information. It's figuring out how to use this as a tool uh, and not have it be a threat to people um, in their homes. And so I'm really optimistic about the future. Um, and in our closing moments here, I, I do want to just give uh, you know one more plug or one more mention of family medicine in general. You know, and uh, you know we're 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 you and I are very passionate about it, and uh, I really try to share with my audience, especially people who are not in medicine, um, that we have about uh, family medicine of of how or healthcare, and uh, you know I really think that we're the future. Um, and you're right in the middle of that being, you know, educating our future family physicians. And uh, uh, I'm very hopeful as well um, as far as the, the potential that family medicine has uh, for this country to, to do the right thing, to, to bring this country back um, as far as delivering, um, you know, the right type of health care to America. I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more, Mike. And if you don't have a family doc, get one. You don't know what you're missing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't believe this hour went went by so quickly. So, <laughs> um, but uh, but Dev, I, I want to thank you so much for for coming on the show. I, I've been looking I've been looking forward to this for uh, ever since I asked you to come on the show. It's this has been a treat for me. Um, I, I'd love to bring you back and and to talk about you know other things too, and, uh, and and to share with everybody, especially with my audience and and with the public there too, as far as. You know that that you know family docs. You know we we have a, a wide breadth of experiences. Um, you see one family doc. You see one family doc, and uh, um, I, I love sharing um, the stories of uh, family medicine. And it's, it's been great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks so much to you too, Mike, for all that you do for family medicine. It's been great, and it's been a pleasure knowing you all this time. <laughs> All right. Well, great. Well, great. Uh, so, uh, yeah, definitely follow up with you, and uh, you know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll keep uh, uh, we'll keep uh, <laughs> keep the story alive. We'll keep trying to to bring our story to as many people as possible, um, especially through social media. Um, so, so great. So, we'll 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 talk to you very soon, and uh, uh, thanks again for coming on. Very good. Stay well. Okay. Bye bye. All right, kids. So, uh, so that ends my show here uh, this evening. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I, I am uh, again. <laughs> very, uh, uh, it, it's great. It's great. I, I, I've, I've kind of, you know, if people have listened to this show the last few weeks. I've kind of, you know, turned the show a little bit, and uh, really, and you probably hear it in my voice to, to share the story of family medicine here, and I've. You know, kind of, you know, going to be selecting my topics and guests uh, along those lines um, as well, especially for these Thursday night interview shows. So, uh, um, so hopefully people will uh, enjoy that and have been enjoying that. So, but I do want to thank uh, 
Uh, my guest, uh, Dr. Deb Clements, the program director at uh, the Family Medicine Residency Program uh, at the University of Kansas Medical Center. I do also want to give uh, some shout-outs here to um, the uh, Heart to Heart International, and uh, that is uh, hearttoheart.org. Uh, and uh, check that out. I put that in the chat room there. Now I'll put it up on the on the uh, the show notes and the uh, blog post for this uh, show as well. Definitely uh, check that out. I'm very familiar with that organization. They do a lot of uh, great work. Um, and uh, just on their front page there, they have uh, Haiti and they have Chile there. So I encourage you to to uh, check that out uh, as well. Uh, so that ends my show here uh, this evening. So thanks a lot for joining me, whether you're live here or listening on the archives. Um, and, uh, yeah, great, great. I am, uh, our next show will be uh, Saturday night. Um, it will be uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, and uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be a fun show. Saturday night's usually the fun show. Thursday nights are the interview shows. So, uh, so Saturday night uh, we'll be having Kat, who is in our chat room, uh, coming on the show, and uh, hopefully another, another guest caller will be coming in, uh, uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert, who uh, called in uh, a few weeks ago. He was a guest on the show, and uh, uh, he'll, uh, he'll be updating us on a, a recent uh, interesting, uh, I don't know, type of experience or race or something like that. I forget what it was called, uh, Warrior Dash. He put that on his Facebook page, so that'll be very interesting to talk to him about that. He's working that night, so hopefully he has a, a few... Uh, <laughs> a few uh, free minutes to update us on that. Um, and oh, I, I am getting some uh, uh, some requests for an after show. Sure, I will do an after show, um, and uh, we that a little bit further. So I'll put the, the link in the chat room. You can go to DrAnonymous.tv, and we will do a short after show where people get to make fun of me. So that'll be fun. Uh, so, but yeah, that's it. Uh, that's it for me here uh, this evening. Thanks a lot for joining me. Yeah, Saturday night, two-hour show, kids. So take a nap on Saturday. <laughs> we'll have a two-hour show. We'll go from eight to ten Eastern time. Cat will be on. We'll be talking about entertainment news. And let me tell you, Cat has a lot of entertainment news that she has to catch us up on. <laughs> I did not have a show last Saturday, so we'll be uh, we'll be doing that as well. Uh, so that's it for me here this evening. I will uh, close out here. Uh, let me find a song here to close out here, and um, then uh, my next uh, show here will be Saturday night, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time, right here on uh, Block Talk Radio. And uh, that's it for me here this evening. So thanks a lot, everybody. I will do an after show right after this song. Just go to DrAnonymous.tv. We will see you on the other side for the after show. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 